listener, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Metacast Crypto Corners. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by Gabby Deason, co-founder of Yield Guild Games, um, who's also a friend of the show, and then Matt, mobile Matt Rutledge, uh, co-founder of Baze. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thanks for having me again, Nico. Hey, oh, you're very welcome. All right, so today the plan is to you know dive deep into play-to-earn gaming guilds. Gabby, we had you on the show a few months ago, um, but I guess a bunch of things have happened, um, and there's a bunch of extra play-to-earn gaming guilds that have popped up, including Base. And so you know today we, we dive a bit deeper in, talk a bit about the strategies, how you're thinking about the future, how both of your guilds differ. Um, and yeah, should have a, a really great episode about that. But before we do, let's talk a bit more quickly about you guys, yourselves, um, like a one minute intro for the audience so they know where you're coming from. I'm interested to know why, Matt, you're called Mobile Matt. Um, but uh, yeah, let's start with Gabby. Okay, very quick intro then. So my name is Gabby Dizon. I've been in uh, game development since 2003. Started a mobile game studio called Altitude Games in 2014. 2017, took a look at Ethereum and smart contracts. And from there, learned about NFTs when CryptoKitties came out and crashed the Ethereum network. Been love with, uh, in love with NFTs ever since. Been collecting and playing across NFT games and artwork. Um, and DeFi and all of that good stuff. Um, I've been playing Axie Infinity for over three years now, and it was during the early lockdown in 2020 that I noticed a lot of people coming in from my country in the Philippines to uh, earn uh, some income uh, via playing Axie Infinity. And this was uh, how the start of, uh, this was how Yield Guild Games got started. So we scaled what is known as a scholarship or the lending program, raised the seed round then, and yeah, just uh, run away with the idea ever since. So now it's uh, it's start of 2022. We're now at over 100,000 guild members, over 15,000 Axie scholars, and have invested in assets of over 30 games since then. That's crazy. And now you're happy when you have 10 minutes of free time, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right, Matt, how about you? Yeah, certainly. So I, I go back personally to the beginning of the mobile esports industry in the United States. So um, it was about 2016 uh, when Clash Royale as a game launched. I was actually the first person to go out and contract a professional team to compete in events and then also ran some of the first events myself, both online and in-person events with a series out of the Chinese theater in Hollywood, California. Um, and I've really just been building uh, at the forefront of mobile esports since then. I, I partnered up with one of the greatest mobile esports uh, esports organizations in the United States, Complexity Gaming, and I spearheaded their entry into mobile as director of mobile gaming. Uh, it was actually the first uh, uh, director-level position for the mobile platform, um, as well as esports org. Um, and I also joined up at the largest mobile gaming talent management agency as director of business development. So really spearheaded mobile games initiatives uh, with some of the best publishers in the world, like Tencent and Supercell. Uh, we ran nearly all influencer marketing in the West for PUBG Mobile uh, uh, and also created uh, creative programs. Uh, for PUBG Mobile and, and uh, uh, board games as well. So um, really saw early, I think, because of my background in the mobile gaming industry, uh, the impact of play to earn because it's gotten so popular in mobile first regions. Um, and I, I really was able to connect with a great colleague of mine, Joao, uh, uh, to understand early the impact of what the future had in store for play to earn and blockchain gaming. And, and uh, as soon as we saw that, uh, we did not want to do anything else. <laughs> and so both Joao and myself went, went all in uh, and had uh, the great privilege of, of uh, connecting with Gabby early on as well um, to you know go after Brazil as a region, and that's where where Bayes uh, came in. And so uh, right now we're one of the fastest growing uh, 
uh, gaming guilds in the world um, and have a, a really strong foothold here in Brazil. So uh, very excited about what we've been able to do in a short amount of time, but I uh, certainly want to accomplish you know, a lot more here. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, let, let's let's dive in. Let's discuss what a gaming guild or a play-to-earn gaming guild is. Uh, maybe, Gabby, you can kick it off, and then I'm interested in, in hearing Matt's perspective and, and how he th- he looks at Bayes, you know, coming from the YGG uh, angle. There's actually many different aspects to a guild. The, the most basic aspect of it is that we, as a guild... We buy into assets of different games uh, that uh, that have NFTs that earn yield. So be they Axis or uh, in Axie Infinity or land in League of Kingdoms. So we, in a way, we're investing into the economies of these games. And we, we make these assets available to the players in our guild so that they can play the game with the assets that the guild owns. So in Axie Infinity, this is known as the scholarship model, where the assets are lent out to players who are playing the game. Usually these players uh, have the time and the skill to play these games, but cannot afford the assets up front. But uh, that's not the only model. Some people just want to play with their friends and do it in kind of a guild model, similar to what you do with a World of Warcraft, for example. But then you have the assets that the guild owns. So if you think about the guild model, it's been around since MMOs have been around in maybe Ultima Online of World of Warcraft. And the interesting thing about the play-to-earn guild is that the guild itself is externalized from the game and owns its own assets. And that's what we do. We're built as a DAO, so we're player-owned. And we make these assets available to the our players so that they don't have to pay for anything to have access to these NFTs and enjoy the games. And Matt, how, how does Bayes differ from this? Or is it pretty much the same with a different geographical focus? How should we think about that? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I think, you know, first and foremost, all guilds are operating with that as their primary model, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we at Bayes are adding some layers on top that we think are pretty unique and innovative, which are things that we're bringing from the esports industry. So um, if you take a look at how a traditional games esports industry works, um, you know, it's very similar, I think, to what the future of NFT gaming builds as well, uh, where you're building a fan base, right? It's not just about the players that are able to play your assets, but also those that are inspired by you and then take part with their own personal assets. And so we want to build a network that is a fan base uh, extending beyond just our scholarship programs. Uh, but without a doubt, I mean, uh, scholarships and being able to remove this barrier of entry into blockchain gaming is is at the heart of everything we do. Mm-hmm. I recently conducted a, a panel just like this one around esports and NFT assets, where the fact that you have like top tier assets, which are actually limited in supply. Um, and we're thinking around like how, how we would be able to make that sustainable. Um, and one of the things we concluded was that guilds will play a major role within the esports landscape, where they will actually be the ones that hold the assets and you know um, run esports teams from within their organizations. How do you see the dynamic between current top esports organizations and the emerging gaming guilds that we see today as, you know, for example, uh, Baze and, and YGG. Matt, how do you think about that and how do you see that evolve? Yeah, I think we're really finding now that, uh, you know, play to earn and blockchain gaming has the eye of the entire gaming industry. And uh, that's true for esports organizations as well, but it's, it's true for every single stakeholder in the industry. Um, and what we're going to find, I think, is that a lot of these uh, tier one esports orgs are, are starting to figure out what their play is in the space. Uh, and uh, uh, more and more will be you know, entering. I mean, again, blockchain gaming and play to earn is not just um, you know, a fad. 
it is here for the, the long term and it is the future of the games industry, which is why I'm here and so many other incredible professionals are making the switch to Web3. Um, and uh, that's not going to change. So as time goes on, more and more esports orgs will get involved uh, because, again, it, this is the existing business model that we've been operating in, in in an industry that is, you know, not nearly as sustainable as Web3 and blockchain gaming. Right. And so um, we're definitely going to be seeing more and more esports orgs enter here. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the existing player base for a game in, in terms of skill level as a sort of pyramid, where at the bottom you have a lot of players who just play the game casually, and at the, the very top you have the professional esports players. So traditionally, esports organizations focused on the top, right? And I, I guess that you would think of you know, play to earn guilds or just guilds in general to be, I guess, you know, you're helping out everyone. So the whole, the whole pyramid. Um, do you see these current traditional esports organizations like Complexity or you know G2 Fnatic these these types of uh, organizations still focused on that top triangle where they try to acquire the top assets within games or do you see them you know extend more into your territory where they acquire more and more assets and you know try to help a greater base of, of, of players yeah fantastic question and I'll use base as an example because I think that we're really building into this um, first and foremost any blockchain game that has a competitive scene we want to be present we want to be dominant in it with an esports team. Um, that includes games like Axie Infinity, where we go out and we build an esports vault of Axies, right? So what is the meta? What are all the possible team compositions our esports players might want, right? Because they can't always go out and purchase these assets for themselves. We own these assets and we lend them out to our esports teams in order to compete in competitions. Um, so certainly, without a doubt, we're focused at the top, like you mentioned, with the most competitive players. But at the same time, um, we've built out fantastic support systems at esports organizations. And what you'll find at these orgs is that you have really specialized roles, things like coaches, analysts, data analysts, people that are scouting opponents and coming up with game plans. And um, I do think that that is something that most uh, block, you know, gaming guilds right now are, are really overlooking. What you'll find is generally you know, people will have a scholarship manager, but it kind of ends there for most guilds. Um, and so that's one thing that Baze is doing differently is that we're setting up world-class support behind our scholarships that is inspired by the esports model. Um, and because of that, uh, even though our everyday scholars are not necessarily the best players in the world, if we can still support them and nurture their competitive skill, it increases their skill level and ultimately also increases their earning potential, even just on a day-to-day -day basis. So while that's not esports in the truest sense, we're certainly taking inspiration mm. uh, in order to increase the competitive performance of all of those players in our guild. Mm -hmm. is, is that similar with, uh, with YDG, Gabby? What we're seeing is that the line between guild and esports team is going to blur over time. Not only are esports teams, uh, a lot of them are starting their own scholarships, um, but guilds such as YDG also are forming their own esports teams. And while we haven't ventured out to more traditional games like League of Legends or uh, any of the, uh, the popular games right now, we are definitely looking to be one of the top competitive teams when it comes to uh, play to earn and NFT-based esports games. And if you think that over time, a lot of these games will have their assets on chain, then there will be a merging of basically esports and guilds. And uh, we're, we've actually been having a conversation with some of the top esports teams to kind of think about the future. What is the future of esports? What is the future of guilds? And I suspect that the, the future will look like a merging of these two. Mm -hmm. Another question, and this is not really, you know, talking about your organizations themselves, but um, we've recently seen that Axie Infinity particularly 
focused earnings more to skill-based players. So basically, the higher the skill of the players, the more they were able to uh, earn. And I guess that would incentivize you guys to also, you know, make sure that your guild members are actually performing at the best level they, they possibly could. Um, is that how you see this whole play-to-earn dynamic evolving in the long term too, where earnings um, are mostly focused at the top? Um, or do you think we'll, see, we'll have some games where they're you know, equally divided amongst all of the you know, players within a game? Uh, what, what do you think, Mac, Matt? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, this is something that you know, I expect to see more of. Um, you know, developers are starting to get a lot more you know, intentional in how uh, the utility token is given out to the player base in order to have a sustainable economy. Um, and so I also mm -hmm. think that this is speaking to a little bit of a broader trend right now where uh, these games that are a little bit more of, of click to earn, right? The very simple games that you just earn by participating and not necessarily winning um, mm -hmm. uh, are starting to, to fade away and we're starting to see a lot more robust games roll out. Um, and that's something that especially is going to be present for us this year as we see, you know, some incredible titles launching. So um, I think that that's certainly true from a, a you know, a diffusion perspective, right? Having to make sure that the economy is sustainable. Uh, but also, I think uh, the more robust games and the more competitive games that are launching, um, the more that's going to be relevant as well. And we're seeing that trend. These player games are becoming more and more uh, uh, robust. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, Gabby? Yeah, we've uh, the field of tokenomics for games is rapidly evolving, and I think uh, the Axie model was the first one to manage to achieve scale. And now you're seeing games that are not only copying the best parts of what what Axie have done, but also evolving it to meet some of the challenges of a of a utility token that is paid out to grind. I think it's uh, it's kind of hard to maintain value in uh, in a token that you're given when uh, when grinding, especially as it attracts a lot of bots, for example, that are incentivized mm -hmm. to just uh, yeah go into your game, which uh, which have no value to the network. So we're seeing a lot of uh, evolving mechanics in terms of what makes for a sustainable player in economy. And this is what really excites me. If you think about the early days of uh, free-to-play when there was really no playbook and people were figuring it out, like Supercell and Rovio were just trying things out and were new. Uh, that's that's where we are right now. And uh, and I would think with, with a lot of more money in the ecosystem coming from guilds and investors and people who are uh, getting onboarded into the... A crypto ecosystem via these guilds. So yeah, it's just an amazing time to be here. Mm -hmm. I agree. So um, I work at a VC and the types of deals we see being funded today, there's definitely a lot of very wild experimentation going on and some projects that traditionally wouldn't get funded are being funded. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that few of them that we wouldn't traditionally th think of as potentially successful um, might actually you know, find a way to crack at least one part of the code of how to make a very great play earn game. Um, I agree. It's very exciting. How long do you think? So you both have been in, in the mobile space for a while now. Um, you know, it took a while, took a lot of experimentation before the code of mobile was cracked. But right now, I think we can all agree that there's like a certain playbook and um, the ones who are best at operating that specific playbook are the ones that are most successful. How long do you think it will take uh, within, you know, play to earn for a certain playbook to arise in a dominant tokenomics model? Um, and I know this is a very difficult question, but I'm, I'm just curious to have your thoughts. Is this like three years? Is it five? Is it 10? Um, Gabby, what, what do you think? Well, I don't have a specific time frame in mind, but the best games will definitely have network effects around it. The interesting thing about these uh, play-to-earn and NFT-based games is that 
the assets themselves don't live inside the game. So any developer is actually able to uh, develop utility. Nobody really talks about interoperability right now because it's not really happening at the moment. But imagine when something is as popular as Fortnite. And what new developers are going to do is that they're going to try to ride off Fortnite's social graph and build for game experiences that would utilize their assets so that the player base will try their assets in a different game. This is absolutely going to happen. It's probably not going to happen at scale until we have a game that is dominant in terms of user base. But once you have a dominant game in terms of user base, newer games will be uh, incentivized to basically piggyback off, off the popular game's uh, social graph. And it, that's very easy to do with blockchain. Mm -hmm. I agree. Your thoughts on this, Matt? Yeah, I think first and foremost, there are so many different types of games um, that I think what we're going to find is that there are multiple models that will end up working and be sustainable. Uh, we also have a lot of developers and publishers that, that have different philosophies on how to run an economy. And so um, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see you know, which models end up succeeding in the end and which are most sustainable. Um, at the same time, I think one of the most important things uh, that we're going to see probably more so in, in about three years uh, is when these games start to really decentralize and turn over control of balancing the economy to the, the public. And I think that's going to be an incredible step. Um, and I think that's going to also eventually be um, something that is really you know, resonating with the public and encourages them to get more and more involved in these games and actually is kind of like a demand driving factor to participate in the game economy is that you also have control as a community to make changes. So um, I think that's something that I, I'm personally really excited for. Um, there's a, you know, I come from, again, you know, the, the mobile sports industry, there's a lot of people that have been very uh, interested in giving feedback, you know, to, to these games sometimes, especially the hyper competitive, you know, players and stuff like that. But now actually to be able to consult, you know, with the game and give actual guidance on what the balance changes should be is a phenomenal mechanic that we just haven't had in traditional gaming. One of the things I'm more, I'm most excited about is that the whole ecosystem of creators can be kind of invested into a game economy and be sharing the upside to help make it succeed. So a lot of the guilds, for example, like Baze and YGG are invested into assets and tokens of the games they're helping out. So it gives you a really good incentive alignment when your esports athletes, when your content creators, when your skin makers actually make money from helping the game succeed. So I think that, you know, when done right, this is an incredible incentive alignment that can come from the entire community that is helping uh, to make a game succeed, which is not possible with uh, with, with the old uh, old old kind of games. Mm -hmm. And do you see yourselves as a sort of voice of the community then towards the game developers? Because I mean, if if you have thousands of players, it's hard as a developer or as a you know a studio to take all of their opinions into account. Um, Gabby, like with YGG, have you seen that you as a organization with thousands um, of players have had impact on on how a game changed already? And do you expect that to happen or not happen in the future? Well, uh, in a way, I mean, we definitely have our own opinions, although we we work with developers in a very uh, collaborative manner. We also uh, hold tokens in many cases, governance tokens of these games. So we're able to make proposals or vote on proposals that we think is good for uh, our player base. So we expect YGG to kind of be the voice of our community when it comes to proposed governance in the games that we're active in. Mm-hmm. I'd like to uh, double click on, on we just, what you just said. So um, if I understand correctly, as YGG, you also make investments in games. 
So traditionally, I thought, or and I think many people think that you know guilds basically invest in NFTs in assets for within games that they can um, use to well, that the members can use to play with. Um, but now you're also making investments in the games itself. How do you see that evolve, and and where do you see you know the asset allocation of a guild go towards um, over time? Sure. So we don't invest in game companies like a VC does. We invest in game economy. So that's usually represented by two things. One, the NFTs that our players use. Second, we also invest in the governance tokens that represent the economies of these games. Our idea is that if we come in, buy assets, make them available to our players, our players come in and help make the game successful. We want to be able to capture the upside of that. And the upside is actually is usually captured within the game's liquid the governance token. So this is a model that we've proven out in Axie Infinity, where we're one of the largest holders of Axies and lands and one of the largest scholarship providers. We also invested a fair amount in the governance token itself, which we're staking actively. And uh, we've done very well um, in uh, in that investment. And we're very active in the ecosystem. We've been farming the uh, the Ron network token of the Ronin blockchain as well. And we see ourselves as an ally of Sky Mavis and Axie Infinity as they grow their game ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Is that similar in, in base, Matt? Yeah, and I think it's actually a really brilliant takeaway of one thing that's really different about this industry versus traditional gaming is, uh, you know, uh, just how much gaming guilds are partners for games, especially in early stage funding rounds. Um, because, you know, as, as a game raising money, you want to make sure you're including the right investors on the cap table. Um, you know, guilds are a great one to include because we want, we love long vesting periods. We want to be an ally to grow the game economy and, and to be a partner with marketing and bringing people in. Um, it's a surefire way to drive user acquisition and jumpstart a game's and guilds have players while VCs don't. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey guys, please, please, not too much wrong talking about VCs, okay? <laughs> we, we've also actually had some really uh, fantastic partnerships with VCs. Uh, so, you know, we work alongside some key partners of ours and, and go, kind of go in together. So um, certainly see a lot of collaboration from that perspective too, because VCs are, are, you know, the network uh, that you also bring to the table. And so if you can bring users and you can tap into regions like, like Brazil, we... You know, we specialize in a lot of times also a, a regional expansion strategy. So what is a, a successful go-to-market strategy in Brazil? What is a games Latin American strategy? I mean, we're the company that's kind of helping guide our game partners uh, through that process for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of synergies, it seems, right, within all of the players within this ecosystem. Um, I, I'd like to have your thoughts on, you know, these decisions. Uh, you're saying you're you're involved with, it, with games at a very early level. Um, what kind of... Um, do you look for in games that you support? Um, and, you know, is there a difference between your two organizations or is it fairly, you know, self-evident? And Matt, maybe you can kick this off. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I can certainly speak to Bayes' perspective. Um, we, I think, you know, compared to most guilds are a bit more selective in the games that we're choosing. Um, just right now, because of the state of play to earn in Brazil, we're, we're in a position where we are really bringing play to earn to people here for the first time. And so it's very important to us that we have games that are conducive for that. Um, perhaps it's ones that are free to play that allow anybody to just pick it up and, and be onboarded into this metaverse very easily, right? Um, but also perhaps it's just a game genre that really fits with the region. Um, so one of the games that we're really excited for and we're positioned to, to be a key player in is Meta Soccer. Um, that's a game that we really identified early as being one that's fantastic for new people uh, into play to earn because it's a football manager game. People here are, see it and they're like, oh, I own the players. Of course, this makes sense, right? 
Uh, whereas there are other games where it's a little bit more difficult to wrap your head around what blockchain is and, and how it works. And so uh, we're incredibly excited for the future of MetaSoccer and what to you know, be a, a perfect case study of, of how to bring play to earn to people through it. So, um, but you know, also with that said, um, you know, we're, we're making strategic investments across a lot of different areas. Uh, there's some games, especially launching this year, that we're ex- you know, very excited for. Um, and so when it comes to evaluating, we also you know, want to not spread ourselves too thin. Um, I, you know, and I'm sure, you know, certainly know that YGG is, is also uh, uh, thinking from this philosophy, but we don't just want to participate in games and buy assets, right? And, and flip them for a profit or anything, right? We want to be around in these games for years. Um, and to be a key partner for them. And so that's a big commitment also for our brand, for our entire company. Um, and as one that's extremely, you know, growing extremely quickly right now, uh, we have to also kind of protect our bandwidth. And so we are selective in the games that we're, we're entering into, and then we turn a lot of games down. Mm-hmm. Gabby, your thoughts? Yeah, so we have a four-man team that does nothing but uh, look at all of the games for us to be able to invest in. Um, we we've actually invested in quite a number of games now so that we can offer the uh, the breadth of these games to our community. So we invested in assets of 30 games. Most of them are not out yet, but are coming out anywhere between the next two years. So right now, the field is still very much dominated by Axie Infinity, but I do expect that to change in even like 12 months from now. Uh, there's some really incredible games that are coming out that... Uh, that are fit for the guild model, that have also uh, are using the scholarship model of Axie Infinity, that have different mechanics. And I'm just really excited for the variety of games that people can can play and earn from this year. I agree. I agree. I think um, what we've seen right now is only the tip of the iceberg. And at least what I've noticed is that, that thanks to Axie, a lot of you know, traditional games teams suddenly realized, holy crap, this NFT gaming thing is real. There might be something there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're now starting to build. And I mean, as, as people from the games industry will know, building a good game takes time. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I think uh, we have some some fantastic stuff coming up in the, in the next years. Um, I'd like to talk a bit more about your your guys's tokens. Um, so Gabby uh, YGG has a token out. I think Matt Bay's not yet. Uh, it's coming out. Um, happy to, to learn more about that. Um, Gabby, can you talk us a bit about your token and how you use it to capture value and also to incentivize every player within your organization um, the right way? Sure. So uh, there are a couple of ways to think about the YGG token. One is that it's a slice of ownership of the entire guild. Second is that it's a membership token that enables you to have uh, special access to things that we are doing as a guild. And uh, later on, we're also using it to enable uh, governance uh, within guild actions themselves. But with with a token, it basically gives you a slice of ownership. And we're actually reserving 45% or almost half of the token supply to be given out to our community members over a period of time. That means if you are contributing to YGG in the guild network, even if you're not buying tokens, you can be an owner of YGG. And it's something that's very important for us because um, the most of the people that are doing uh, play to earn in the community, they don't really have the capacity to buy a lot of these tokens. And to enable the network effects that come with any really strong Web3 network, you want to incentivize ownership 
among the uh, among the members of the community in themselves. So that's why the almost half of the token supply is there to earn. Whether you're in the esports team, whether you're community manager, or kind of helping out the guild in different ways, we want to enable that with ownership of the guild itself. It's fascinating. Matt, is is it similar for for base? Yeah, a hundred percent. And certainly, with us being, you know, a YGG family guild, they're really fortunate also to to be able to look to YGG as a, as a template, right? And they're really setting the example for, for how to operate in the space in a lot of different ways. And, and the token, of course, is one of them. Um, when Joao and I, you know, got together to, to start a guild, we, you know, really understood our strengths and our, and also our weaknesses, though. And so, coming from the traditional games industry, right, able to really lean into things we do well. Um, but at the same time, we understood we need to really find ourselves some incredible crypto native partners uh, for specifically the token and DAO processes. And so um, we, we found that obviously with YGG, uh, have some great partners involved that were part of our seed round. Delphi Digital uh, is, is helping us with our tokenomics. Um, certainly, you know, best in class when it comes to that. Um, so uh, certainly, you know, very, very excited. I, I get asked win token a lot, as you can imagine, uh, <laughs> with the base token, but it is coming. It is coming very soon. Uh, but we want to make sure that you know we have a, a great framework uh, for a sustainable token. Um, and uh, one thing that we're also doing is, is we're bringing some tokenomics that are really uh, uh, unique, I think, for, for uh, you know a gaming-focused company. Um, Joao and I have built out fan rewards programs at esports orgs for years, right? And it's kind of also a natural trend in the gaming industry to gamify what it means to, to be a fan of an esports organization. Um, and so we've got this really awesome blend of crypto native processes and staking mechanics with these perks and benefits that are, I think, really of interest to, to gamers. Um, and so very, very excited to be able to release more info, information actually very soon about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the power of tokens is, is um, I mean, it, it for me shows the value of Web3. And, and the way I describe it always is, is as, you know, everyone gets to capture their piece of the value they add. Um, and it's just an organic way of also, you know, if you play a game and you add value to the game as a whole, then you deserve to, you know, capture a bit of that value that you add. Um, so it makes really right. a lot of sense. To add on to that as well, I think it's actually something that is incredibly important for a guild in particular. Uh, because we're, we're having to scale across so many different games and make so many different decisions. And honestly, a DAO and a decentralized uh, governance process is the only way to do that sustainably at scale. Um, you know, if Joao and I had to make every individual decision of what to do with game assets, uh, it would not work very well, right? We'd be very, very busy, <laughs> even more mm -hmm. so. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, so it's important for us to trust the game experts, ones that are on the front lines of the games playing every day uh, to know how to operate in that space. And that's, that's how you set yourself up for success as a DAO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you, um, maybe Gabby, you, you've worked on this quite a lot already. Um, talk about, you know, the, the whole structure within YGG. You have sub guilds. Um, how does that work? You know, is that per game, per region, maybe both? Um, how should people think about that? Okay, so we differ with many guilds in that we have, where we, we think of YGG at, at the top level as an enabler of guilds. So within YGG itself, for example, there are dozens of uh, community scholarship managers, and they're not employees of the guild. They are community members who have access to the YGG platform and assets that are able to lend these out to their scholars, whether it's Axie or later games in the future. 
And while we were scaling this way, we realized that we wanted uh, we wanted to have uh, dominant guilds in different geographies. The way to think about a guild is that it's really a Web3 distribution network. And we wanted to make sure that we had a dominant network wherever we were, whether we were in Southeast Asia or India or LATAM or Brazil or any part of the world. So we started identifying who would be the groups that would basically win uh, for these parts of the world. And we we had met uh, Joao and Matt before. And honestly, we would have gladly hired them, but they weren't available. They were building Bayes. So we did the next best thing, <laughs> which is we, yeah, we invested in Bayes and basically lending them all of the support that we can from YGG so that they can be the dominant guild in Brazil. And, and does that also mean then that um, you know, Bayes can have access to some of the assets that you know are within the the YGG um, infrastructure. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And Matt, um, do you differ? Does do you think about you know the future of Bayes differently um, when it comes to the the whole structure and 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 sub like with sub DAOs and stuff? You know, it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I think one thing that we're really coming to realize is is you know in crypto and in blockchain gaming, you know, your network is everything. Um, because, you know, when you enter into a game there, you know, yes, we're participating into the game economy, but also, I mean, we're, we're acting as an advisor for games in a lot of ways, right? I mentioned developing Brazilian go-to-market strategies, right? So it's so important that if there's a key game partner of ours, we want to see it succeed all around the world, right? So that means if they're trying to develop a Southeast Asia regional strategy, that we have someone that can help to do that as well. And so I think that it's incredibly important to have a strong network. Um, and that's certainly, certainly what we have now with YGP family. Mm -hmm. And Matt, can you talk a bit about what happened, I think, weeks ago, maybe last week even? So you acquired another guild, is that correctly? Um, how does that work? How does acquiring a DAO underneath another DAO even work? Could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, ha happy to dive into that. I think actually it was the first acquisition of the NFT gaming guild of another guild. Um, so Congrats, uh, man. Yeah, it, thanks. And, and really just speaks, I think, to the pace that we're operating at right now. We really do want to mm -hmm. uh, have a lot of those things under our belt, you know, as, as the um, as first for a guild, but essentially, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we acquired a great group, uh, uh called Soma, uh, which in, in uh, Portuguese means plus, uh, uh, and I think that they were a big plus for us from that perspective, but, um, you know, in that acquisition, uh, gain access to the, the ent entire team, uh, phenomenal members that have been building, uh, here in Brazil for years, uh, Renan, uh, Marduk, uh, in particular is two of the executives and, um, uh, really has been a huge, huge, uh, uh, boost for us as a company. Uh, in addition to that, they've been developing some IP essentially to develop a, a play-to-earn content platform, uh, which is essentially really aligns well with Bayes. We're again bringing play-to-earn to people here for the first time, um, so that that is a, a huge boost for us as well. If you go to Bayes.gg, you'll actually be able to see it. It's, it's been live for uh, uh, just under a week here, but it, it's essentially a content platform. We have uh, 50 courses, video and, and article-based courses um, on play-to-earn game, and it teaches you teaches you everything you need to know. Um, about how to get into this space, about how to set up a wallet, uh, you know, what is a hot versus a cold wallet, uh, and, and also game-specific advice, right? It shows very specifically, you know, if you want to play Axie Infinity for the first time, here's the screen, click here, right? So it really lays it out simply for people, and, and that's all part of our goal of onboarding uh, people into the metaverse. So um, really aligned well with the founders, really aligned well with what they were building, um, and uh, we have some more things launching actually very soon that we haven't even announced yet. So uh, really, really excited to have done that acquisition, and it certainly won't be the last. Nice. 
That's really great. And because um, you talked about the content that you provide, does that go up to, so it goes from, you know, how to set up a cold wallet and a hot wallet. Does it go up to, you know, this is the current meta and, and these are the time of team formations you will, you know, best be able to use to win your Axie matches or? Yeah. So, it, you know, if you think about it, there's so many different games that can be covered. And then even within a specific mm. game, there are players that are at the start. There are players that are intermediate players and advanced ones, right? So we're certainly going to be uh, producing material that is uh, catering to all of that. But the, the goal for that website is for it to be 24-7 content, um, just completely you know, covering all of the bases. If, if there's something that you want, uh, you'll be able to, to find it there and, and find it easily, right? So um, I think right now, one of the biggest challenges for content is discoverability. Um, uh, you know, People are using YouTube to search for things that they want to find, right? But a lot of times it's mm -hmm. more difficult to find the things that you don't know that you don't know. And so that's what we're trying to create as well, especially for new players, um, is to just lay it out very, very simply for them, right? We, we've been down this road. We've learned play to earn ourselves from, from scratch. Uh, let us help you make it a little bit easier here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, everyone is still figuring this stuff out anyway. So, I mean, uh, you know, this, this, you know, th that page will definitely be updated uh, as time goes on. I'm curious. So we see today that a ton, a ton of games are being built, um, of which, you know, you'd almost need the whole population of the whole earth to play, you know, play to earn games for all of them to be able to, to thrive or, or at least sustain themselves. How do you see yourself uh, thinking about games that you made a commitment to, uh, but you just don't see working out? This could be, you know, just because the team isn't performing or maybe because, you know, just the game's not appealing and, and you made, you know, a, a, an error in, in choosing that game to, you know, buy assets in. Um, how do you think about that? Uh, Gabby, you can, can kick this off. So I guess we look at this kind of similar to how a VC works with their portfolio, right? Like you, you make uh, investments in companies that you believe in, but even then not everything works out. And uh, for all of the games that we do invested in, we try our best to help them succeed. But we see ourselves as a long-term partner in the game, which means that we're not going to sell those assets at the first time of trouble. We, we, we want to make sure that we do our best to, to help it succeed. And yeah, we, we actually want, uh, we barely ever sold an asset or a token, and we want to be there long-term for, for the games that we work with. Mm -hmm. Similar for you, Matt? Yeah, 100%. And I'll actually use an example uh, that I learned early on in traditional gaming. Uh, you know, I've worked in the influencer marketing space for a long time, represented content creators, some of the best ones in the world. Uh, and uh, as, as a game, if you really want to know how the game is doing, ask a content creator because they're the ones that are at the front lines. They're the public, you know, platform essentially that the fans go to and comment on their videos and uh, they, like a content creator can tell you everything about what the biggest pain points are for players. They can tell you everything about what needs to be changed. Uh, and they, they often also act as a filter, right? So we start talking about how we operate with game partners specifically. Um, I see us in particular uh, being a filter of that noise in order to give the actual concise, constructive feedback, right? So we, we have all so many players at the front lines that are experiencing the game and, and understanding what they want changed, right? Um, that it gets then filtered up uh, to the leadership within that game community. And we have the opportunity to present that in a really constructive way to the games that we work with. Um, and so I think, you know, that's also kind of a value add from an investment perspective, right? So not, not just participating in the game economies, but hey, we can also make it more sustainable by giving you concise you know, feedback from the community, uh, also comparing and contrasting versus other games that we've operated in. So uh, I think that's a, a huge value add and something that 
uh, again, just like Gabby was saying, like we're, we're in this for the long haul with these, with these game partners of ours. Um, and, and, you know, we want to see all these games succeed. So uh, even in a situation where a game is not doing well, um, we're certainly going to be at the front lines and trying to help turn that around. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, talking about, you know, games that are not performing very well, how do you guys think about, you know, risk and diversity or di- diversifying your asset allocation? Do you have internal rules for, you know, we cannot allocate more than this amount of our treasury to, you know, one game or um, how do you reason, how do you think about that? Um, Gabby, you, you can uh, give your thoughts. Well, we, we do have a set budget for investing in an entire year. And uh, we typically have a range uh, wherein uh, we invest. And typically, it's probably somewhere between uh, $100,000 to $500,000. And uh, yeah, and which is kind of a, a small amount of the treasury that we have overall. And yeah, we do that usually early stage in, uh, in a game, ho- hopefully in a seed round. And then from there, we kind of help the game with whatever they need to to help make it successful. And as it grows, do you then increase allocation uh, like a VC would do? We typically don't do follow-on rounds, but once the game is live and there is plenty of demand, then we have the capacity to double down and add our operating uh, units. So for example, this happened to us in Axie Infinity, where we saw in May and June that the game was just really about to explode and this didn't reflect in the token yet so we actually doubled down and bred a lot more axes and bought uh, axs between four to eight dollars and that did extremely well for us oh. how about you matt yeah certainly uh coming from a similar perspective as well we, we set budgets it's it's a little bit more uh dynamic i think for us right now because we're we're uh, earlier of course than ygg and growing uh so our budgets can change very quickly uh, so we kind of set things more based on our, you know, most recent funding round, essentially. Um, uh, but with that in mind, you know, certainly, you know, uh, want to maximize that budget. So, so participating in the early rounds as much as possible. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to also follow on rounds like a VC, uh, you know, I think one thing that's unique with these games is that they, they're constantly launching new features or game modes. Um, you know, it's very common, let's say that a, a game will already be out and, and running, but the launched land gameplay, right? And so there's a land sale that takes place. And so there are also moments within each game uh, that we could potentially participate in as well. And again, we want to be around for the long haul with these with these titles. So um, certainly hope that we're, that we're active at those stages as well. Mm-hmm. What is, according to you, the source of long-term competitive advantage in guilds? Um, you know, as a VC, I can tell you that there's a lot of them right now, uh, a lot of very small ones, just, you know, a group of friends who's like, oh, we have, you know, our extended network and we currently have hundreds, um, you know, guild members that are playing Axie. Um, where do you see, like, how do you see this play out in the long term? Um, and, and where do you think, you know, guilds will, 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 will create a moat um, between themselves? Matt, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, um, a lot of guilds challenge with that or challenge with that question and uh, they don't have a solid answer. I think, for, you know, one thing that is really clear is that guilds will specialize in region. Um, I think we're really starting to see that is that it's, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, uh, effectively go to market in a region that you don't have grassroots operations within. Um, and so that's why we're very much specialized in Brazil. Um, you know, it's a massive market. We know it very well. Uh, we have great people here and, and we're executing. So, uh, but, but, you know, with that said, um, I think that there's also a differentiation that, that must be, you know, developed by a company. Um, and that can be different, right? Uh, like 
even within the, the YGT family plans, I'll use as an example, um, there are ones that are incredibly data focused, like the Latin American Guild. Um, there are ones that are incredibly content and creator focused, like Bayes. Um, and so there's, there's different answers to that question, but what's important is that you have one uh, and uh, really lean into it. Um, you know, because uh, that's really, you know, where you're going to find your, your competitive differentiation is what makes you unique. Well, like even within a, a single region, why would one game work with one guild over the other, right? So um, certainly something that's very important to answer. Mm -hmm. And uh, where does YGD fall there, Gabby? So strategically, we think of guilds as uh, Web3 distribution networks, and Play to Earn is just very much at the tip of the iceberg for this. So right now, we're using Play to Earn assets, these NFTs, to recruit people from town to town, village to village, city to city, get them into the guild via these regional guilds that we have. We have a base going down really deep into Brazil, into the towns there, and recruiting players giving them jobs and basically giving them their Web3 identity and reputation. So we see this uh, kind of regional push and localization as really important for what we're doing. That said, at, uh, at the top at YGG, we're building the network effects that, are, uh, that, that make this possible. Um, we're building the identity and reputation that people can use when they play different games and get an on-chain reputation for them and be able to provide the assets, for example. Because of our scale, we're able to get into seed rounds early for the best games. And when we invest in the seed round, we bring C, we bring Indie, we bring Base, and they get access to the same deals too. So in the future, it's not only these games that we'll be using us for distribution. It will be all Web3 protocols that are looking for an audience. Mm -hmm. And where do you see where do you see Web3 gaming evolving? Um, Gabby, if I remember correctly, you said that any game with a player-to-player -player market will be blockchain-based. Um, you still stand, stand by that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're already building player player based economies as you are with with MMOs and some free to play games you would want them to be blockchain based because this enables the easy transfer value from player to player and you as a developer are not acting anymore as the seller as you would in an in a purchase model now you're acting as the facilitator of a marketplace and taking a cut out of that and when you do that when you enable the players to create value in the game whether they're breeding virtual horses or crafting items and armor or creating towns that produce some form of uh, cash flow revenue then you're enabling the players to really run the economy of your game and you are acting as the facilitator of that and i think that's what makes for a really sustainable long-term economy and now you're going to see players in guilds that will have millions of dollars of value inside that game so they're going to do everything they can to make that game and that economy as successful as possible mm -hmm. matthew you agree a hundred percent. Yeah, of course. I, I think one of the things that is uh, most clear to me is that digital ownership in video games is inevitable. Um, and I think that that's something that the traditional games industry is, is still trying to fully understand uh, is that, you know, once you have this type of model that incentivizes the players where the ownership of these assets and the currencies goes to them, um, it puts the player first in a way that cannot be accomplished in Web2. Um, and I think that over time, Web3 and, and blockchain gaming will continue to grow, but it'll be demand-driven. It'll be from the consumers that expect this type of model. Um, and especially, I think, this year and, and next, as we start to have more robust games and AAA games launching, 
Um, as soon as the quality of games is equal, it becomes a no-brainer that people get involved because the model is much more favorable for them. It's, it's player first. So um, to me, it's inevitable and, and digital ownership of games. Is mm -hmm. What I've noticed, you know, looking at internet in general um, and, web, and the evolution of, of Web3 more particular is that everything becomes more and more gamified and e economicized, even if, if that's a word, even, but you, you know what I mean. Um, how do you see that evolve? Will the whole internet be some kind of, you know, big RPG? Um, and, you know, what role will your organization play within that? Matt, what do you think? I mean, that's a fantastic point, actually, because, you know, we talk about blockchain, we talk about NFTs and crypto as these elements of these games, but really these are, these are tools. This is you know, something where NFTs and, and crypto is just expediting uh, what is, what is you know, most natural, which is the player first mentality of games and the ownership going to players. Um, but you know, this, is, this is also the convergence of so many you know, uh, leading edge technologies, right? In video gaming and blockchain and NFTs and everything. So um, you know, I think what's also really exciting to me is what the future is going to look like with uh, how NFTs are leveraged. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, innovation right now, even just with NFT profile picture collections, right? And how they create membership packages out of that, making it an exclusive club to be part of, adding utility to them, right? And so we're at this in incredible convergence uh, of, of technologies. And um, you know, also, I think that one thing that's going to be important about the future is that um, you know, NFTs and, and uh, crypto are going to be so inherent in these games that the user won't even know that they're using NFTs and crypto, right? Um, uh, and so that's, that's where you really get that mainstream adoption. And, and uh, uh, you know, you know we're, we're very early. We're, we have the innovators playing now, right? And we'll have the early majority soon. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it becomes such a streamlined user experience where you don't need to go through so many additional steps of setting up a wallet and all these other things. Uh, to where it, it's very simple, right? I, I'm really excited for that moment as well uh, when things really click and it just becomes uh, uh, very clear for, for mm -hmm. all players. But Matt, what are you going to do with your video about how to set up a hot wallet then? At that time, we will be creating other types of content, I'm sure. So uh, right. there's not going to be any shortage of learning opportunities in this space for years, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Um, yeah, Gabby, your, your thoughts on this? So I think that the world is already turning into a giant RPG with uh, Ether and other crypto as our currency and our ability to own assets as NFTs and basically get achievements for doing things that uh, you can do in, in the real virtual world that can show up as achievements, permanent achievements that show up on chain to your wallet. So I think that what we're doing is we're really gamifying the, the world of work. And this is already happening if you see what's happening within the world of DAOs, for example, and DeFi, where there's a lot of games that are being played with, with liquidity and, and money. So I think this will just converge into video games that provide some sort of economic element. And yeah, this is all where we're basically headed into the metaverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like within the discussion between you know, uh, typical game developers who are saying like, you know, you don't need blockchain to make a fun game. I think what they mi miss is the fact that we are economic animals and adding, you know, an additional economic layer on top of the traditional games that people enjoy. Um, for some, it just adds a whole new level of, you know, waking up, excited to check, you know, how your tokens are doing, you know, um, having a financial incentive with the game you're playing and just getting that thrill of, you know, more and more people joining you in playing that game. Um, I feel like that's what yeah, a lot of people underestimate from this, this space.
Yeah, blockchains enable different kinds of interaction that really weren't possible before. And that's the trustless exchange of value from person to person that is that could be done outside of an application itself. So it was never really easy to basically offboard your gold in World of Warcraft to US dollars or Philippine pesos because, uh, yeah, because uh, there's so much uh, regulation that you would have to go into. But if your assets are on chain and you could exchange them for Ether, for example, then that uh, trustless exchange is made very easily. And then you have unique assets, which could be NFTs that could represent unique items inside a game, which makes for unique uh, interactive elements that you can do within games that uh, that enable new forms of gameplay. So yeah, like blockchains maybe aren't needed, but you know you didn't really need databases either until you were doing multiplayer games. None of this is necessary, but people have there's a demand for them and people want to play them. And I think this is why innovation has always existed in games. The reason I ask you guys this is so I I have some answers ready for when I have these discussions as well. So I mean, you didn't need databases until multiplayer games. This is a good one. I'll keep that in mind. Matt, your, your thoughts here. Yeah, definitely. I think one, two companies coming into Web3 are going to be really uh, surprised at the engagement of the, of the player base. Um, and, uh, you know, this reminds me, a few months back, uh, Jiho from Axie Infinity had tweeted the retention rates of Axie Infinity. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely blown away by a couple different stats. First of all, uh, the retention rate after 30 days was 58%, which there is no game in Web2 that has any business having a 58% retention rate after 30 days. Um, but the second stat that blew me away was that it was the same retention rate after 90 days. And, and that is also unheard of, right? Regardless of the percentage. Um, and so that is, is something that really speaks to what's unique, I think, about blockchain gaming, which is, you know, people are, are invested in this to a degree that you just can't accomplish. Even if you have the same mechanism set up and the same, you know, type of marketplace and stuff, it, it's, it's really incredible. Um, and, and that is something that I think is going to lead to uh, you know, inevitable growth, right? I mean, when you have 58% retention, um, you just don't, you don't turn. So, <laughs> yeah, so true. Cool. Well, um, I mean, this was a fascinating discussion. Um, I love your insights. If people are interested to learn more about you, where, where can they find you? Where are you, uh, you know, publicly sharing insights, Gabby? So you can find me, uh, you can find the discord of, uh, Yield Guild, uh, discord.gg slash ygg and also on twitter twitter.com slash yield guild that's the primary way to find us all right How about you matt yeah i would uh love to connect with anybody uh, uh i would first uh go to twitter uh, my handle is the mobile matt uh and uh also bases is base gg nice all right cool well um i mean matt uh gabby thank you so much for being on it was, uh, it was a real pleasure um i'm i'm impressed with your vision and i think um you know play to earn guilds will be you know a a very significant player within you know the future of video games in general and, and web3 more specific um so yeah thank thank you um listeners thank you guys for listening i uh, very much hope you enjoyed this um give you know gabby matt and, and ygg and Bayes a follow they're going to do, be doing big things so you keep an eye on them and with that the metacost is out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode cheers